Hello and welcome to the Do Land Midwife podcast with me, Charlene Yarrod-West, founder of Relax Into Birth Online Hypnobirthing, and Karen Wilmot, also known as the Virtual Midwife. Hello, hello. How are you this week, Charlene? I'm great. I'm great. And you? It's been a, a busy but really enjoyable week and all sorts of things going on as always. What have you been up to? Well, I've had a really busy week. And one interesting thing that I offer, and I've done a few of them this week, are virtual or in-person, depends on on what the mom wants, but fear release hypnobirthing, hypnotherapy sessions, where I help the mom unpack her fears and worries and anxieties about the labor and birth process. I can also do this for scheduled cesareans. So it doesn't necessarily mean only for planned vaginal births and it's such a wonderful unfolding of what happens in those sessions as I use art prompts and so that the mother and sometimes her partner comes to can illustrate what she sees in her mind's eye and it's so fascinating to see what comes up Mm. it's usually like her deepest wish for her birth experience And this comes through in the shapes and forms that she draws. And this is followed up by a fear release visualization where she mentally is able to move through what is holding her back. So it's a session that allows for just real processing and transformation. Because I think what I really believe is that if you can birth free from fear, you'll have a much better birth experience, Mm. no matter what turn it takes. Yeah, the mind is such an important part of your birth preparation. And it's not something that we typically think about when we are moving into birth preparation. You think about what you need to read, what you need to watch, uh, what classes you need to do, but you don't think about it in terms of your mind. But actually, whatever you're reading, watching and listening to is going into your mind. And everything that we've ever seen, watched and heard since the moment we were born, is stored somewhere in our mind. And whenever we face exactly. something, the mind immediately reaches back for a point of reference. And if that point of reference is only scary images or images that invoke fear, then that is where your preparation is starting from, is from a place of fear. So your sessions really help to, first of all, is an awareness around that, and then secondly, moving beyond it. It's also when you watch TV and you watch these reality shows like... I don't know, one born every minute and hospital birth series. (laughs) Rolling my eyes. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) you're watching those shows in quite a passive state, which Mm. means your body is relaxed and your subconscious mind is wide open for suggestion. Mm. You're just taking all of that in. And it's no wonder that we fear our births as human beings. We fear our births so much that... We are the ones that need hypnobirthing, antenatal classes. We need to relearn and remember how to give into this process of birth. And it's so unfortunate because those programs were developed, I think, as a way of raising awareness around birth. But because they have to make money, they have to add an element of drama. Yeah. And (laughs) so it's not actually reality. Um, it is it's reality distorted where they are it's so highly edited that you're not seeing the reality of it the only way to see a real birth is to actually be there for those hours and I think actually if we're talking about real birth movies there is one called these are my hours Um, I don't know if you've heard of it amazing or seen it and it's a woman who filmed her birth and she calls it these are my hours fantastic and that is that's real 
that's real exactly and it's literally these are my hours like hours and hours of not much happening <laughs> exactly <laughs> at a real birth I'm sorry to say but it's one of the most boring things you'd ever do with your time because you just you're just sitting there sitting watching and waiting um action doesn't happen until much later and then and it it's so important that so husbands and partners know that as well because yeah. when they do start feeling bored then there's an element of guilt that comes around they think oh my god I'm sure I'm not meant to be feeling bored but really <laughs> no come on already when is this baby coming <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's much of the same thing happening surges happening slow and steady everyone has a cup of tea now and then fill the birth pool I mean it's it's all happening around the mother, but there isn't the, that element of drama is not there. Mm. It's certainly yeah. not like one born every minute in those reality shows where no. as you're watching every, all the time, something is happening yeah. in a real birth. There's many, many moments where not much is happening, or at least not externally. Obviously there's a lot happening for the mom and in her body and those subtle changes that are taking place. But what's required really is patience and yes. and that's what we want to be expecting and to know I mean in saying that I'm on call as second midwife for a grab seven which a midwife speak is means that it's a wow. seventh baby amazing <laughs> and she's sure. been niggling since last night so I kind of was expecting something to happen last night but it hasn't happened yet so she's sure, been niggling exciting. all night and we'll see. Yeah, let's see what happens. But hey, let's get to our letter. We got a letter this week. We did indeed. Yay. Um, so I'll go ahead and read it. Dear Corin and Charlene, how do I choose the right gynae and hospital to birth at? So many of my friends have given birth already and I'm the last in my circle to have my baby. Two of my friends gave birth at the same hospital and the experiences of it were so incredibly different. One had a good experience and won't shut up about it. And the other, <laughs> and the other quite terrible. She hasn't told me the half of it because she doesn't want to scare me. I'm grateful for her restraint, but it also makes me feel quite nervous about making sure I choose correctly. Also, I have been with my same gynae since my mother took me to see him when I was a teen. So I feel so bad to think that there are other options out there when my gynae is such a wonderful person. My friend who had the good experience wants me to change to her gynae. Can you help me navigate this decision? I'm 23 weeks and looking for my stalks next. Lots of love, Jennifer Hammond. Oh, 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 this is a goodie. Oh, my. <laughs> hey, this is like so common. And I see it in the Facebook groups all the time where people are saying, who's the best guy I need to go to? And then everybody says one name and another one says, oh, I went to her or him and they were terrible. And it just causes absolute confusion. And I think it's a little bit like reading restaurant reviews. You know, you and I could go to the same restaurant and have a completely different experience, even though we eat the same meal. Exactly. And it also depends so on what my expectations are. I mean, I might be expecting like a gourmet burger and you're happy with a McDonald's replacement. So what is your, <laughs> what are you expecting there? Are you expecting the gourmet or are you expecting processed meat? I think that goes yeah. right back to what actually are you looking for? Yeah, exactly. And as you said, one woman's experience of a hospital birth can be so different to the next woman's. And also, 
which birth you're on. If you're on your first birth, second birth, you might change your mind as you go along. Well, I think one of the, the biggest things, and certainly what I see since I've been back in South Africa, is how much emphasis women place on their gynae. And while that is justified to a point, there's so much more to it than that. And it's yes. something that I talk about a lot because the reality is that the majority of your gynae appointments are no longer than 15 minutes. And most of the time, you don't see them more than 10, 10 times in your entire pregnancy. That's so that's so like true. 150 minutes. It's not even like three sure. hours in 40 weeks. So, so we when put you put numbers to it like that, it really it's really quite shocking. And I think it is a syndrome of placing your gynae on such a high pedestal. Mm. It doesn't mean that you never have to see that gynae again. It just might mean that they're not the right person for your birth. You can always go back for pap smears and gynae appointments, but it doesn't mean that they're the right person for your birth. You really have to explore that. Exactly. And, you know, we talk about in, in the States, they call it an OBGYN, so your obstetrician gynecologist. And yes. an obstetrician is a gynecologist who specializes in obstetrics, which is pregnancy and birth. There are some gynecologists who only do gynae consults. So they're dealing more with like polyps and heavy bleeding and things that are out to do with the reproductive system, but are outside of pregnancy. So before and after pregnancy, and they're not that focused on obstetrics and pregnancy related stuff. Yes. So obviously most of the obstetricians are only doing pregnancy related stuff and as well as some gynae. But that's the thing is that, you know, when a midwife, that's all we do is pregnancy. Pregnancy and birth. We see you antenatally, during birth and postnatally. We're not doing anything outside of that. Whether an obstetrician and gynecologist, they're also doing those other things. And I think also putting into perspective that you know that you're only going to be spending less than probably three hours in your entire pregnancy with your obstetrician, gynecologist. How are you going to optimize the time that you spend with them? And use it because there's a lot of stuff that you need to do in those 15 minutes. You're trying to build a relationship. You're trying to establish what their point of view is. Do they support your birth preferences? How do they relate to you? Or do they remember you? Do they know your name? Do they seem as excited? And, you know, admittedly, an obstetrician is seeing like 15, 20 patients a day. They're not going to be as excited as you every time of those 20 there's possibly three who it's their first pregnancy and they're super excited so you know the level of excitement that you is not going to be the same and for every time and that can sometimes be quite off-putting because you're so excited you want your gynae to be excited and they sort of say oh, congratulations and you're like sheep <laughs> I've been trying for this baby for four years and that's all you have to say but that's where they're coming from. So what are your expectations and can you manage that? Move beyond that and say, okay, but what's really important here? What information do I want? They're not that excited, but will they give me the medical care that I expect and what do I expect to get? So, you mm -hmm. know, the bedside manner and the way that they interact with you, how important is that? And how much importance do you place on that? as well as the information that you're getting? How much do they share information freely? I think it's also about interviewing them as if you would be, say, for your house renovations, for example. You're not going to be choosing a plumber or electrician that is second rate. You have to choose someone for your birth that you really trust and that you can be very vulnerable in front of. Those things are so important. 
not going to choose not your a friend. nonsense person. Exactly, they're not your friend. You know, when you're choosing a plumber or electrician, like you say, you will generally get three quotes and you choose the best quote and you will take into account the way, you know, they responded and how quickly were they getting back to you and all of those things. But at the end of the day, you know, you don't, you don't feel bad when you choose one over the other. So why do we feel bad when we choose one gynae over the other? Or if you get to a certain point in your pregnancy and you realize this is not working, they're like, oh, I feel so bad to change. I don't want to, those gynees don't even notice that you've never come back. Yeah. They probably don't even know your name. Exactly. And word of mouth and references do count in this situation. So really just getting to find a caregiver that ticks all your boxes. And in saying that, do you know what boxes you want ticked? Hmm. You know, I think be- you've got a few questions up your sleeve, Corin. <laughs> well, I think it's important if you know, you know, it's so easy when you, you're hiring a plumber or electrician, if we're using that example, you know that they're going to come and fix the leak in the bathroom. But yes. um, when they arrive and they've got their plumber's toolbox and everything, and they say, well, actually this leak in the bathroom is caused by one in the roof. There's a lot of trust that goes into that you're going to want to see it and everything but when it's your first pregnancy and your obstetrician that you've chosen suggests something that perhaps you'd never heard of before or that you didn't know was a thing do you have the confidence to ask the questions that you you need to find out exactly why they're recommending this and you know do you need to have it done yeah so if your doctor recommends something that you haven't heard of before or you're not certain if you need it then ask questions like, is this test or treatment routine in pregnancy? How does it work? Why do I need it? Are there any benefits to me or to my baby? Or what are the benefits to me or my baby of doing it or not doing it? You want to know from both sides. You also want to know if there's any risks to you or to your baby if you do do it or if you don't do it. You want to know if you actually have to have it. So, I mean, is it a routine thing or is it something that they're just recommending? Or is it something that is new and they are just you know, they've just discovered it and they want to see how it's working. So do I actually have to have it? And then the timing around it, do I need to have it now? Can it be done later? Um, and if I don't do it, what will happen? So, you know, that's that's already just a list of really simple questions, but it would give you a, or more information around that. And if you don't need to make a decision there and then, then you can go home and think about it, talk to your partner, talk to your doula, talk to your midwife, and really make an informed decision, get a little bit more information around that. And I think at every appointment, there will always be something like that that comes up. So you want to have that, be comfortable to have those conversations. There's also questions around the statistics for the types of birth that you want. How many natural births versus cesareans do they do? And how openly do they answer that question? How long do they allow you to push when you're in the pushing stage of birth? And do they do routine episiotomies or do they allow you to tear if necessary? So really, there's so many questions and how they answer it and their approach, you know, and does their body language change? You shouldn't be afraid to ask these questions of your gynae. You know, even though they might seem a little bit probing or you're asking for too much information or you're not questioning the the fact that they're a doctor. You're just questioning how they do things because it might not be right for you, really might not be. And it also helps you to ascertain earlier on in the pregnancy if this is the person that's going to be there in the end. And so that it's not too late to change. It's never too late to change to a different care provider at any point. I mean, I've had moms change at 38 weeks, 39 weeks. 
to a different care provider. That's really cutting it fine. But it's really cutting it fine. But I've had it several times. <laughs> and I tell you what, I've had the best outcomes with those who've changed at 38, 39 weeks. Because what's happened is they've got to a point where they realize actually this is not working. And then it's at that point that they are very clear about what they want, that they find the person who is supportive of their birth preferences. Yes. And I think that goes back to what you were saying, you know, when you're asking those questions, what's their cesarean section rate, do you know, what's their episiotomy rate, when you ask those questions, you, you need to be really confident and know what your expectations are around that and not be asking from a place of fear, especially when it comes to episiotomy and tearing, there's so much fear and resistance around that with reason, I mean, with absolute yes. reason. Yes. So, you know, that should be something that you worked through with somebody like yourself or me, so that when you do ask that question, you really are able to tune into their body language, like you said, and to your gut. Are they yeah, telling so you what, they, not what just you what want they to say. hear? Yeah. Exactly. Because very often it's they also, tell you what you want to hear as yes. opposed to what actually is the reality. Because the majority of the time they are going to say, of course, we won't do an episiotomy unless it's necessary. And somehow that's, that answer is satisfactory because you think, oh, they'll only do it if it's necessary. But you don't go on and say, well, when would it be necessary? And how often do you need to do it? And yeah. how often is it necessary? It's about bait and switch, isn't it? totally bait and switch so bait and switch is an unvery, a very unfortunate method of coercion really yes. that is happening a lot lately and it saddens me to actually even talk about it but I think it's really important that we share and that many practitioners will tell you exactly what you want to hear throughout your pregnancy and they just plant little seeds of doubt about what they know that steer you towards making a decision that supports their practice, basically. And doubt and fear in your own body and, and capability and body. to yeah. do its thing. Yeah. yeah. And, and I have used... huge respect. Sorry, Corin. I have huge respect for Guyanese who outrightly say, actually, I prefer cesareans in my practice. Rather go to this person if you want to have an attempt at a vaginal birth. And there are Guyanese who will do that. They'll openly they say, I'd rather not do any vaginal births. It's not my thing. I mean, that's honesty. That's all you want from your care provider is honesty about what they're, where they're willing to go with you on this journey. Rather than saying I support natural birth, but knowing that towards the end of pregnancy, there's enough things that you can find a reason to justify a cesarean because we can always justify a cesarean. Exactly. In labor, exactly. I can always find fetal distress. So I can always justify a cesarean. Sure. And you really need to trust that it's really justified and that there really is a medical indication for that. And that's, of course, I'm speaking to those who want to have a vaginal birth yeah. and who want to find a gynae who supports vaginal birth and who will make a decision that is justified medically as opposed to socially. What you want as a mother from your birth experience is that if a cesarean is called, you can know in your heart of hearts that it was the necessary only route of action to take. And you want to know that you tried everything. You did hypnobirthing. You did a great online antenatal course like ours. You got <laughs> the caregivers correct. You chose a hospital that was supportive. You really ticked all your boxes so that when if a cesarean or a birth that you did not intend for 
happens. You can know that you tried everything in your on your side of things. The rest was just factors out of your was. control. Because factors there are factors that are out of your control that we need to always take into account. And so much of the preparation is understanding those factors that are out of your control and being able to let go of them enough that if they do occur, that you can accept them and you think, okay, yeah, that's okay. I did, as you say, I did absolutely everything I could. But I'm so happy that I was in an environment with a birthing team that trusted me and my body enough and that allowed me to progress to the point that I could get to where things changed for reasons beyond my control and a decision to schedule a surgical birth was made and I know that it was the right thing. Yes. I almost knew before it was called. Exactly. That that was the right thing. And I'm so glad that I did all of that preparation because this is the birth that is right for me. Definitely. And it's only in South Africa, really, there are other countries, obviously, that operate in this way, where we have the gynae as the primary caregiver. In other exactly. places, it is the midwife and only calls on the gynae or obstetrician when the situation needs rescuing or needs a little bit of help. And yeah, in some, we- some places, we can have a an independent midwife in the hospital conducting the birth and the gynae just comes at the end or afterwards or, or not only if necessary or only if necessary yeah exactly and it's also interesting that in south africa where we do have that medical model and where the majority of women do go to obstetricians and gynae where our cesarean section is in excess of 70 percent midwives are specialists in birth they're not people with long well they might be long hair and incense and <laughs> hippie vibes, you know, they are medical professionals. But the word midwife makes people think of something that is quite alternative, but actually it's, they are medical professionals. Then they come, if you do choose to have a home birth, they come with a long line of medical equipment. And more often than not, they come in scrubs and make sure that the baby and the mom are healthy and able to continue down this path of a home birth. And if anything happens that the midwife does not like, she'll call it in say it's time to move to a hospital and that's why it's so important to also know the difference between having a home birth or a hospital birth because if you're in hospital so this is important if you're in hospital you're choosing to have a hospital birth right and there is a medical emergency that needs the doctor's attention the only person looking after you at that very moment is the hospital midwife you don't have the gynae, you don't have anyone else around at that moment. The gynae obstetrician needs to be called, perhaps the anesthetist needs to be called, perhaps the pediatrician needs to be called, and maybe it's the middle of the night, so they all have to drag themselves to the hospital. It may take 10, 10 to 20 to 30 minutes for them to get there. And in that time, the only person looking after you is the hospital midwife. And so if you're at home, a similar thing is that the only person looking after you is the independent midwife, but she has an advanced set of skills looking after you at home. And she has medical equipment and she's checking. So she might be quietly drinking a cup of tea, sitting beside you, watching you, smiling, but she's watching you like a hawk. You're totally, totally tuned, tuned in, in to everything that is happening. In. And we're always one step ahead. We're exactly. always thinking 
what am I expecting to happen next? And if it doesn't happen, what am I going to do? And, and you know, being prepared. So we're always one step ahead. As you I say, it looks very cool, calm and collected. You. Yes. But exactly. And if she it. doesn't like what's going on, the midwife, she'll call it in. It will also take about 20 to 30 minutes to go in. And by that time, the relevant team members that are needed, maybe the pediatrician, maybe the anesthetist, etc., the gynae, they'll all be there when you arrive. So it's much of a muchness, whether you're birthing at home or at hospital. You know, I think it comes back to so often when, when women are asking this question, they say, but what if something goes wrong? And exactly. that is a very, very, very valid point. And it's one that is completely natural for any mom to ask. That's the first thing that they think of. Part of your preparation is, is learning about the things that can go wrong and understanding them and coming to a point of, of deep understanding and trust. Also, because, you know, unfortunately, the focus goes on what if something goes wrong and the things that go wrong as opposed to all the things that go right. Exactly. And part of your preparation is learning about all the things that go right and where in that process things can veer off and there's other variables because there's variables at every stage of your labor. There's variables every stage of pregnancy, but specifically in labor and birth, there are so many variables. And just understanding those at early labor, these are the things that may or may not happen. And active labor, these are the things that may or may not happen. While you're pushing, these are the things that may or may not happen. These are the things that you can do to try and avoid those. If you can't avoid this, these are the things that might happen, understanding those things. So it's all about just having a deep understanding, because when you have that, then when those things happen, it's not like a big surprise. And you think, okay, I knew I did everything I could to prevent that, but situations or factors out of my control meant that it did happen, but I had options. And aren't we lucky that we've got those options? Exactly. So lucky. And that you can choose. Yes. You know, you can choose home, hospital, gynae-led birth, midwife-led birth. I think it helps to really have this multidisciplinary approach to your birth and have lots of different team members that you draw upon, professionals in the field. I would really, I love that. Yeah. I love that. I mean, I really think it's so important that um, you create your birth team, that part of your preparation is bringing together all the experts in the field who can guide you, because everybody comes with a different set of skills and information, just like you and I, you know, we're coming from the same place, but we give different perspectives on that. And how that can really create such a, a beautiful holistic approach and, and make you feel fully prepared. And so choose care providers that are supportive of your wishes and not ones who ask, what's your shoe size? Mm, doesn't look like the baby's going to fit through there if your shoe size is such and such. That's such a huge myth. But there are still some doctors asking that question, which really, whew, really makes me so mad. So just before we end, I <laughs> to share five questions that I recommend that you ask yourself after you've met with your gynae to see how you feel about how that appointment went. Okay. And that is, did your doctor acknowledge or address you by name and give you satisfactory answers to your concerns during the consultation? And how important is this to you? If you have fears surrounding pregnancy and birth, did your doctor do or say anything to alleviate those fears? or refer you to someone to talk to? Or did they just exacerbate those fears and use them to guide you to a outcome that is not necessarily what your preference is? 
Did your doctor do or say anything that exacerbated your fears? Was the focus on risk or was it on safety? Sure, that's really important as well. Hmm. Considering the fact that many doctors, unfortunately, are not exposed to natural birth as, as many as what they should. They're exposed to high-risk births in their training hmm. and are sometimes looking at a mother from a high-risk perspective, hmm. i.e. what can go wrong, or what is going to go wrong, or What's not 100%? What can we uncover? Yeah, I think that, that that's so important. And as we said, you know, what, what about all the things that have been going right? Does your doctor seem to share your beliefs about pregnancy and birth? And do they respect the choices that you've brought to this consultation? And you'll get a good idea about that from their body language, as you said. You know, those subtle eye rolls are quite... <laughs> <laughs> sometimes not so subtle <laughs> or a little inaudible sigh <laughs> that's quite audible <laughs> and then the last one is what was your initial gut feeling and I, I really think go with that hey? you know if you walk out and there's any niggle and every woman I've spoken to who's changed her doctor will always say to me you know the first time I met my initial gut feeling was not great but they said all the right things they kept on reassuring me and whatever but my gut was like what the words that are coming out of your mouth don't match your body language don't match what I'm thinking what I'm feeling that will match what happens in the birth you know exactly you know they're not going to talk about it when you're sitting there and you're pregnant and you've got all the time in the world they're certainly not going to talk about it when you're in the labor room where things are it's kind of like it's an intense moment it's too late there totally And, you know, I want to bring in something else because it it happened in a consultation I had the other day where um, she mentioned to me that her husband really liked the Ghani because there was a lot of like blokey banter, which is great, but it also detracts (laughs) from. (laughs) I don't know if that's so great. I don't know. That really. Well, it's great for the husband because it makes him feel really relaxed and. Oh, because, yes, he's having the baby. Sorry, I forgot. (laughs) (laughs) but i think that's the thing isn't it you know you might be thinking oh my husband likes him so my husband likes the guy so you know that's that's okay but i'm not feeling great you've both got to be on the same page like planning a wedding you know you don't get a do-over with birth with weddings you can you can go ahead and remarry and throw another big wedding but for birth you just get one chance you know, so you need to get the wedding singer right. You need to get the venue right. You need to get all of those elements. You can't, <laughs> you can't return to sender and, and do it all again, maybe for your next birth. And, you know, unfortunately, what's happening for us in South Africa, and I have to bring this up, yes. is that because so many women are coerced into an unnecessary cesarean, that our VBAC rate now is off the charts. Sure. Women realizing after the fact, you know, and they knew and they do, and they will say it, that I I knew that this was not necessary, but there was just too much uncertainty and I didn't know enough and I didn't feel confident enough to question that decision. I trusted my my care provider. I trusted my care provider. It's such a breach of trust. And then now second time around, now they're doing all the preparation, all the things that they could have done in the first pregnancy, but trusting the intuition a lot more because they know the consequence of not trusting it or of putting all of their trust into the care provider who didn't necessarily have their interests at heart because they don't. If they do an unnecessary cesarean, they have their own interest at heart, not yours. But it's difficult in the situation to know 
when you're actually experiencing it, is it unnecessary? Is this unnecessary? Absolutely. And, and that's where good education comes from. And that's why it's so important to have those conversations in pregnancy because it's too late when they make that decision at, in the labor room or in the when you, yeah. and you trust, you've trusted them all along and you're now you're uncertain. You can't change care providers when you're in labor. You can at 38 weeks, you can at 39 weeks. If you see those conversations starting to veer off and say big baby, baby's head is too big, too round, too. I mean, we've heard some great ones lately. And to do vaginal examinations in late pregnancy just to check the fit. It really doesn't make any difference. So even I recently had somebody who sent me a pelvic assessment that had been done like with a complete scan with measurements and everything. It doesn't make any difference because it depends on the position of the baby. Exactly. And the fit through the pelvis. And the fit. And there's the no way you can ascertain that fit unless she has a trial of labor. Exactly. So to say that that baby is too big to come through when you haven't even tried. Come on. <laughs> 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 so I think in summary if we go back to the letter Jennifer you've been the same guy since your mom took you to see him when you were a teen I feel bad to think there might be other options out there there's definitely other options out there and if you feel that that guy that you are seeing right now is not a good fit for you even though you've been there since a teen firstly I don't think they're going to be too bothered if you find somebody else and you don't have to explain it you just find somebody else They've got enough, you know, you don't have to explain your choices or justify them. You have to find what works for you. And secondly, while it's lovely to have those references and feedback from your friends, I think the most important thing for you to do is to sit down and think about what it is that you really want. Get clear about what your birth preferences are and then Go see the guy that has been recommended to you. Ask those relevant questions. See how you feel. And do you think that that doctor is going to support your wishes? And do you feel that sense of trust and respect? Are they answering your questions? How are they responding when you do ask those questions? You're not questioning their ability. You're not questioning their qualifications. You are just wanting to make sure that they are supportive of what you want and that they have the same philosophy around birth. And if you want a vaginal birth, do they believe in vaginal birth? That's a big one. Do they believe? And how many do they do? If yes. you want a, a cesarean birth, find a doctor who does a cesarean and say straight out, I want a cesarean. They'll probably be happy as Larry. I think it's also important to interview a midwife in your area. Just hear what they've got to say. Just see mm. what they offer. And then also interview a doula just to hear what what they have to offer so it's not just one it's not just one route to birth it doesn't mean you have to have a gynae led birth as we said earlier it's a multidisciplinary approach to birth mm. and i think that's all important for this conversation thank and you Colin. one last thing we've all i know one last thing but you always bring something up for me <laughs> <laughs> sometimes sometimes <laughs> um, Woman, I'll hear women say, but what happens if the gynae misses the birth? And my answer is always, well, that's the best thing that could ever happen to you. Because if they've missed it, it means that things are going really well. Yeah. It means that, you know, your labor progressed either really quickly or really smoothly, or you got to that point where, you know, you just birthed your baby without any outside assistance. I mean, isn't that just fantastic? Because the best births are those that do not require anyone whether it's a gynae midwife whatever um because at the end of the day you're the one who's giving birth so you know your gynae what understand what the role of the gynae is in your birth so that you don't put so 
much focus and attention on it. You know, if they tell you at 38 weeks, they're going to Tahiti for the week and it throws you into complete spin because you oh, what am I going to do? They're going to be in Tahiti and I should have an induction or whatever. Think about that. What does that actually yeah, mean to you? Thank you. That's, that really sums it all up beautifully. So on that note, thank you to all our listeners for tuning in. We're loving the feedback that we get from you. Make sure that if you've got a question like this, that you send us an email so that we can feature your question on the podcast. You will find information about me on thevirtualmidwife.com. You'll find information about Charlene on relaxintobirth.com. And as you know, the podcast is available on various platforms, including Spotify, which is, I think, the most popular one. And there's always information on the show notes. Yes. Thank you so much, Karen. And I'm looking forward to chatting next week. Mm-hmm.